Let's continue with the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale. Gosh, good to have you folks with us for today's edition of the show. And it's also good to have Ron Canodal along with us. He's a horseman and clinician from Grand Island, Nebraska. Gosh, Ron and I go back a long way. Met Ron the first time almost 30 years ago. But anyway, let's get going with this segment of the show. Work with a lot of wild horses, don't you, Ron? Yeah, we started this several years ago, and it's getting to be more and more all the time. Uh, people are interested in the techniques and uh, methods on the Mustangs and how it's applied to any horse. It's not just for the Mustangs, it's, it's for any horse. What are some of the differences you run into, though, with the Mustangs that you might not see with a domestic uh, horse? About the only difference, Howard, that is the first few days or the first few workings that you're around the Mustang. Uh, they're brought in out of the wild and they're not used to seeing a human but maybe for a mile or two miles away and they're gone. Uh, you're just working with a lot more alertness and wildness uh, per se compared to the domestic horse. The domestic horse, even if you're just walking through a pen uh, when they're young or even if they're born and brought in, just walking through them, then the Mustangs don't have that opportunity to be that close to a human. So that's about the main difference uh, on the Mustangs. They may be a little more alert at first but after a few workings, then they're the same as any other horse. How'd you get started doing this? Well, Howard, you know, we go back quite a few years, and uh, I think it's about 20 years ago over in uh, western Nebraska, I was working for a fellow working horses and uh, riding them without anything on their heads and all and whatnot. But growing up, and I always wanted to be a cowboy and, and uh, working on ranches, and uh, of course all the ranches need horses started, and and they kind of reserve that for the people that's that's good enough to start with those young horses, not get them bothered and turn them into a bunch of broncs. So as I traveled the country in the West, uh, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, uh, you, your reputation is about all you have in life and it precedes you. So from ranch to ranch and and uh, people asking for references, they say, hey, get this guy to, to start your colts. And, and once you get started on the colts, it's kind of tough to get away from them. What, uh, who are some of the folks that you've learned from? Because the guy had to pick this up. Sure, you learn a lot on your own, but there are also folks you learn from. Who were some of those? I lay all my tribute to Ray Hunt and Tom and Bill Dorrance. Uh, and there's a lot of them. I can't mention all of them right now, but that's the main focus on them. And we've uh, lost Bill and Tom in the last, Tom this year and Bill a couple of years ago. Uh, but Ray Hunt is, is, I spent quite a bit of time early on. He kind of filled a lot of void spots in places that I really didn't know or understand. And, and uh, they, they're the ones that I lay all my tribute to. What made them so different? Uh, they made things just a softer, kinder, easier, gentler way for the horse. And it was just a whole lot safer. Uh, and it wasn't this cowboy thing about being rough and tough and showing them who's boss. It's more of a working relationship and not a situation where your master of the horse is a slave. Now you had, uh, walking, watching you work with a horse yesterday, this horse had kind of an attitude. Uh, now, you didn't let her, by that I mean, she'd get aggravated. Uh, but how do you handle that situation? Well, early on you don't, you know, that was this, yesterday was the second working on that mare. And she's one of the first that we've had for quite a few years and quite a few horses that that she was, she was having a hard time trying to relate and I was having a tougher time to get her to understand that I just wanted to be rubbing and petting on her. And we'd done that the first day, the first session and rubbed and petted on her, sat on her bareback off alongside of the fence and trying to find a spot to where we could work off of. And uh, when them horses are 
or uh, like her, she's just trying to get me out of the way. She was wanting to be left alone. And, uh, and I understand that she didn't do nothing wrong yesterday. It was just a matter of setting up that and bridging that line of communication and getting things to work in the right direction. I guess uh, while you weren't rough with the mayor, you also didn't let her get away with the wanting to be the boss either, did you? No, she was trying to just nibble me and push me out of the way and just trying to say, get away, I'm trying to survive, and I certainly understand that. So on the early things, you don't want to wreck anything or get the horse leery of you, so you can't be rough and tough and slapping and pounding and kicking on her. But I just set a situation up to where I make myself not available for her to, dis uh, to uh, exploit that kind of behavior. You kind of stayed out of her mouth then. Oh, yeah, we stayed plumb away from her <laughs> mouth there. But it's good for people to see every once in a while these tough horses because you're going to have to earn their confidence, their trust, and, and that might take a while on some horses. Uh, it always bothers me a lot when we have an easy horse, especially like the five-year-old. Uh, people come up and say, well, thank you for breaking my horse, and I'm saying, geez, it's just three workings and it's not broke. I don't know what a broke horse is anymore, I guess, but uh, they need to be reassured that you know, don't get in a hurry and just take things for granted on them, on them tougher horses. Well, and even with the horses that, that uh, aren't so tough, that are pretty gentle, you better, you better take a little time, hadn't you? Well, certainly, you know, the, the five-year-old mare yesterday uh, saddled her and sitting on her out there in the middle of the corral all the way on her, rubbing and petting on her, and her saying, wow, this, let's just take off and go, and I'm saying, let's give her some more time. There's a lot more groundwork and a lot more preparation. It's all about preparing your horse to ride one day, and you want to have a lot of things built in there about lateral flexion, bending them, moving those hindquarters away, and getting some control on there before you ever think about getting in there and riding on that horse. Talk a little more about this the lateral flex and the control of the hind end and, and how you're working on the ground to get that, would you, Ron? Well, when I first started, you know, these horses wasn't haltered, wasn't touched or anything. And in past years, we've had horses come in here with the halters on them. And I kind of recommend that uh, if they get them horses there. But lateral flexion or bending, I don't care what you call it, is, is bringing that horse's nose towards you and moving the hindquarters away from you. And of course, that's a safety feature that you want to be built into there. And bending that horse's nose around to this left and to the right, a lot of lateral flexion or a lot of bending is going to give you that vertical flexion so you don't have to use the tie downs and the martingales and to where the horses, some people call it collection breaking at the pole. Uh, what you want to get a lot of that lateral and do that early on. That's something that you're going to use all the way through life with that horse for different maneuvers such as opening and closing the gates. You're going to have to move those hind quarters across uh, for flying lead changes and, and simple lead changes. and. Uh, uh, working cattle especially. No big hurry to get on one of these horses, is there? Uh, you know, Howard, I used to used to do that. I've, I've saddled some horses in seven minutes and was riding them in 13 minutes, and it sends the wrong message. I'd done that for quite a few years, and, and, uh, and I've seen what other guys, other clinicians have been doing on that hurry up and get on and ride thing, and it sends the wrong message to them, and it's too much pressure for most people, and let alone horses. So that's not the, the thing. We need to spend more time on the preparation part, getting the horse prepared so that really wards off the bucking and the kicking and these bad accidents that some people have heard and witnessed and been involved in. So no, I'm not in a big hurry. If anything, uh, nowadays and as I look into the future, uh, I'm going to in encourage people to spend just a little more time of working and, and getting that horse more secure and confident around the ground before you ever get involved in the riding. Well, one of the uh, one of the things that 
was becomes a, a, a little bit apparent that uh, sure you can get on you can take a horse in in a couple hours because of your experience and the years you've been working with them and get them to the point where you can steal a ride on one if you want to yeah that's certainly right and a lot of the clinicians still today going around putting on these demonstrations and they're kind of sneaking and stealing rides on the horses and and that's like i say it's sending the wrong message and getting a lot of people hurt and turning people away from the horse industry and i've always said there's 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 nothing better for the inside of a person than being on the outside of a horse well these these uh these folks when they're working with this horse at home let's say they adopt one of these mustangs they don't have to get done in one day what what you are because they're not putting on a clinic no uh, that's certainly true and i tell them and i'm not trying to be rude come across to be rude or disrespectful on them i'm just doing it and i there's so much to show and to do in a short period of time and i i, I don't want to give them the wrong impression or send the wrong message out that you need to be doing this this quick and this soon this is just a demonstration and familiarize you with the whole process in a short period of time uh, i certainly uh, would caution people not to even do this. I'd, I'd like to see them take a couple of weeks uh, to do what we've done in just a couple, to, a couple of hours. You use some flags and the ropes uh, as, as tools in, in working with these horses. Uh, why these flags? Why rubbing this? Why do you rub this horse with a plastic flag and, and use that in the whole process? Well, the purpose of the flag uh, is just to help the people keep out of the kick zone and the strike zone they're merely nothing but an extension of my arm if I had six or seven foot arms I would I would be using my arms and out there and staying out of that kick zone it's not so much you know I use my coils and my rope uh, now you can use anything you can be creative about it but the main thing there is is to keep the people safe and to teach them the proper way on how to approach a horse with a flag someday they may want to ride a horse in a parade and a lot of people don't because their horse is fearful of the flag. So it just simulates uh, uh, the flag carrying. Or if you're at a horse event, wind's blowing, somebody blows their hat off, you've at least taken the time to expose your horse to the flag. Uh, and I realize other clinicians going around the country are selling these bag full of whip sticks and tools and this kind of stuff. And that's not what I'm about. I don't really, per se, uh, push any products. Uh, I started out with just a willow stick and a garbage sack. And I still have it today. I still use that. You don't have to invest a lot of money into these kind of tools, per se. It still goes back to working with the horse and don't get involved in so much the tools that we use. So, But it's just that the flag and the ropes are just merely extensions of my hands and my arms. Well, one of the interesting things, uh, another clinician who's here at Husker Harvest Days, Craig Cameron, mm -hmm. uh, had a flag that he used in his demonstration, and he said... Uh, he said these are pretty expensive. He used a $6 fishing pole from Walmart and then used the plastic bag that it came in as on the end of it. Yeah, everybody's got their, their thing, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I not, I'm familiar with some of that. I know one fellow that has stainless steel and puts hooks and curls in them and they get $20 for them. And, uh, I'm not about that. I'm about really, truly helping people with their with their horses and, and bridging that gap and that line of communication, per se. Well, Craig's point was you didn't have to spend a lot of money. All you could, you just right. go to down to Walmart right. and get it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been able to attend it. You know, we're so busy here yeah. all the time that I don't get a chance to, to get away and see many other people. So 
uh, I, I'm not sure what what his intent is on that, but yeah, you don't have to spend a lot of money on that. Yeah, that was that was his point, same point that you're making. Well, a lot of this stuff, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Yeah, I think as time goes along, and we're we're quite a ways into this horse industry with this so-called natural horsemanship, and you're going to be you seeing a lot of similarities uh, within the within the people. It's almost getting to be a universal way to work with the horses and. There's some deviation from person to person. Uh, I'll just say this, the people that are not working on this kind of mindset probably are going to have a hard time in the horse industry if they don't get to working on this natural horsemanship. Ron, we're going to have to take a break for a minute and get this program paid for, but let's come back and talk with the folks a little more in a minute. You're listening to the Horseman's Corner. Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale, and it doesn't seem possible, but we're on the last segment of the program already, so let's get right into it. Here's more with Ron Canodal. You know, Ron, the the job that I do, I get to see a lot of people that work with with the horses, and the guys that I've seen that do a good job all have very similar background. You know, that's interesting. Uh, uh, one of my pet peeves has been the misrepresentation in the industry with these some of these clinicians and their background, as you say. Uh, mine has been totally on the ranching and learning off of the ranches. Some people come in off of colleges and universities and, and such like that. I'm not one for bashing anyone and their backgrounds and where they come from. If they've spent the time and enough hours and experience on working on them and if they're really truly helping somebody with their horses, uh, you can't bash them. So the background, yeah, it plays a part in there, I guess, but it seems that the people are are more receptive if you've come from that agricultural background. The background with the, some of the same folks, the uh, Ray Hunts and the, and the Dorrances, and, and that's where most of the good guys that I've seen that really do a good job, that was that was where they picked up a lot of information. Well, like I say, uh, you know, being put out on camps and, and uh, they drop you off with 10, 12 head of horses and been pounded and beat on by other cowboys and They'll say, we'll see you in a month, we'll bring you some groceries, and Christ, I didn't think I was going to live two days on some of them horses. Uh, and that's kind of the that's kind of where it's all started out. And uh, you get out there and you get to talking to yourself, wondering why you, you got yourself into this mess, and uh, you learn to work with the horse and not against him. And uh, if you want to get into those fights and those tussles, you'll find out that them horses, even the weakest one, is tougher than I am. So I just decided a long, long time ago that there's got to be a softer, kinder, gentler way to, to get along with these horses. Yeah, and that's a lot of that's a matter of self-preservation for both you and the horse. Oh, most definitely. And once you get that self-preservation up, up way up into the sky, it can really set you back several days to get it back down. So I tell folks to, you know, get more involved in, in treating the cause and not the symptoms. The symptoms get to be really widespread and you just can't keep up with it. So if we keep treating the cause, well, we don't have to keep heading off all those symptoms. Ron, a lot of the problems uh, when you find the cause, do you often find it in the mirror? Yeah, Howard, I know what you're going here with the man in the glass poetry. Uh, yes, it certainly is. I'm the first one to blame myself. If things aren't working out, I'm the cause. I'm the reason I don't know or understand well enough, I tell people. And a lot of people take that personal, and I, I don't want to to keep shoving that down the throat that it's always a human's fault. But for most of the time it is because we're lack of knowledge of understanding and communicating with the horse. There is such a thing as a universal language out there with all animals. And uh, well, horses are no different. You know, you can take a mad bull and throw it into a pen with a horse and they get along. 
All we need to do is understand that line and bridge that gap, that line of communication. Ron, do you, particularly where you're working with these Mustangs, do you ever run into any horses or have you run into horses that just, yeah, can't get along with? I'd assume somewhere there are. I suppose that there is, Howard. Uh, I myself, I haven't. Now, yeah, I will walk away or turn away, per se, on some of them because I can see that that the person that we're working with on their horse, uh, you know how that saying goes, green on green turns black and blue, and uh, you enter in the, the, the money part, the financial part of it, and it's just going to be too much, and the, and the end result's not going to be a satisfying result. So, but no, I haven't myself run across anything that I haven't been able to ever get along with other than, like I say, the fact is it's not going to be worth it financially to the people. Okay, so from what you're, if I'm understanding you correctly, there just really basically aren't any bad horses, but maybe there's some bad matches of human and horse personalities or experience? No, that's mostly right, Howard. You're sure sure hitting the, the nail on the head with that comment because, uh, well, if you get two people that are not open and being diplomatic, no different than a horse and a human, uh, it's just not going to work out, and it's best not to put him in there and try to get him to work out. There's just uh, too much danger involved in trying to mash and to work on, on a situation like that. You're a lot better off for the humans and the horse, as far as that goes, to get somebody that, that the personalities are more likable. Ron, what advice would you have for these folks that are thinking about adopting some of these uh, Mustangs? What are they going to have to be able to do to make it work, and, and what are they going to have to have in the way of time to make it work? Well, the best thing is is to get the younger horse, uh, do some research. There's a wide variety of people out there, and I know it can be really confusing on who you pick and choose and who you're really comfortable with. It's not necessarily the most popular guy to pick and choose with, and get some good direction and get some schooling and some education out of the situation. Uh, the best thing is start out with some younger horses, have somebody there to give you some directions periodically. You don't have to live with you day and night, but periodically, if you get a little bit lost or things are starting to materialize or go the wrong way, give them a call and get in there and get some more good advice and some, from somebody that's well experienced. You know, another thing that you use a lot, you, you use these ropes a lot and get it on, the, uh, gosh, you wound up with the uh, rope on the horse's foot and uh, around their belly and actually in the in the flank, which kind of an exciting deal for the mare you were working with when you got that rope in the flank. Mm -hmm. But that isn't a bad deal. That, that, what, what's some of the reasons that you, uh, that you use that rope? Well, I'm just preparing that horse for things that may arise later on down the line in the riding. For instance, if he was going to rope and drag calves to the fire and if that rope accidentally gets underneath the horse's tail, I like to at least expose my horse to those things. The horse can learn to wear the rope around the cinch area. I, I do that with every horse. And the reason why we have a lot of horses not good with their feet on their, uh, with farriers is we don't put enough time and effort on hanging on to that foot. And we try to do it with our hands and the horse learns to shake and to pull and jump away from our hands. And of course, we, we're not that agile enough to hold on to it. So the rope there now becomes just an extension of my arm and my hand. And it makes it a little more difficult for the horse to get away with that foot. So uh, I think that as time goes along, people will understand that the rope is very a tool that we can use to our advantage to ward off a lot of 
undesirable symptoms later on down the line. How do you reward a horse? Rub and pet, leave alone. For instance, if I want a horse to stay put in one area, uh, I'll rub and pet it. The horse wants to leave. I'll get it to moving its feet around and keep moving its feet around until it finds that spot again. When they come back, I rub and pet it. And what about when you're, let's say you're, let's say you're leading a horse, teaching a horse to lead. How do you go about that? Well, the first few days, I'm not really interested too much in leading. I'm just interested in getting the first step is getting the horse comfortable to be around, meaning that they've got to, you got to get into their bubble, their area, their zone, whether that's two foot or, or 20 foot away. It's kind of, I tell people, you're kind of putting your underwear on over your blue jeans if you expect that horse to just to follow up real close to you when it's leery of you and scared of the human yet. So the first thing that I'm trying to, to get across is, is to rub and pet the horse where it's comfortable. And then once you get that established, you'll start taking that horse and bending its nose, moving the hindquarters away and get it to move the hindquarters first. And then eventually those front feet will come loose from the ground. And then you entice the horse to come on up. And if the horse gets that thought in its mind to come on up, I'll leave. So it gets to turning into a situation, if you come, I'll go. You come, I'll go, and pretty soon the horse says, ah, I see, I see, you want me to follow you. And that's what I had in mind all along. Yeah, and, and you're uh, watching your work yesterday, it looks like you're pretty quick to give them release when they, when they start doing what you want. The reward or the secret that I tell everybody, if there's such a thing as a secret, is in the timing of your release. Horses don't want to be drugged and pulled on. That brings, that tears down their confidence level. Those horses get real heavy and you drag them and you teach them to drag. So uh, the minute that that horse tilts its le uh, weight forward or lifts the weight or moves the leg or moves the foot in the direction that I want to, I release it. And that's the reward also. Ron, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to him. You do a nice job. Appreciate it. Well, I, I, I really appreciate you, Howard. It's been, it's been fun. I know we go back several years back in western Nebraska and it's it's great to see you back again and uh, I know I've been all around the country but uh, and I look forward to maybe doing some more of this. Ron Knodel doing an outstanding job with his demonstrations. I'd like to thank both Ron and Craig Cameron. Gosh what a treat to watch those guys work and always a treat to have you folks along with us on the Horseman's Corner. I'm Howard Hale. Time to close it out so I'll say goodbye. May God bless. See you next week. Same time. Same place. Same place.